You know, um, I think it's been about seven years since the last time I, I shared up here. It's a long time ago. It took about that long to clean up the mess. And I think Alvin um, felt that it was maybe time for me to, to share again this morning. So I want to put my being up here um, kind of into perspective with just two brief stories. One of them was from a couple of years ago. I was in my truck I, um, with a fella. I don't honestly remember how he got there, um, but he had spent the previous four years living homeless on the streets in Red Deer, and he was a, a drug addict, and we were talking about what, what to do, trying to put a plan in place. And he stopped, and he looked at me, and he said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. And, and he was, oh, I've always wanted to be one of those. It's funny how many times I've actually heard that, um, but um, he said, I don't think I'd be very good at the preaching part, and I laughed. I said, well, you know what, I've honestly never preached a sermon in my life, and that was kind of shocking to him, pastor not preaching, he couldn't figure that out. He said, so what, what kind of pastor are you? I said, well, I'm the kind of pastor that gets to work with guys like you every day. And there was another long you know, thoughtful pause, and he said, yeah, I don't think I want to be one of those kinds of pastors either. <laughs> and then one more just quick story. Um, I got a call from a, a lady. Uh, she had a friend who uh, was pretty messed up, wondered if I would go and, and help them, you know, meet with him and, and talk with them. So I said, of course. So we went to uh, his home that evening, and um, he was messed up. He was very, very intoxicated. He could hardly sit up on the couch, and his language was very colorful. And um, I was trying to talk with him and trying to figure out what, what do we do next with this fella. And, um, and same thing, he stopped, and he looked at me, and he said, what do you do? And I, again, I said, well, well, I'm a pastor. And he actually put his head down, and he started sobbing. And he kept saying over and over again, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And um, his friend finally reached over to console him, put her hand on his shoulders and was just patting gently and said, it's okay, honey, it's okay. He's not a normal pastor. <laughs> and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna, I think that was a compliment. Um, at least I took it as that. So what does a not normal pastor who has never really preached a sermon before share in a church where you are all taught so well? So I'm going to share just, I guess, more of a journey that I've been on probably for years. But you know, towards the end of last August, I was, honestly, I was, I was feeling exhausted. Um, in fact, to be completely honest, I think the glamour of being a recovery pastor um, was sort of losing its appeal. I, I think the reality was that the magnitude, um, the sheer magnitude of numbers, of broken, hurting people was kind of beginning to wear on me. So graciously, our leadership, um, agreed to give me a 30-day break. So thanks also to the generosity of John and Susan Ham. I spent a large part of those 30 days out at their ranch just west of here. And it was great. You know, I, I had a simple plan. Sleep, eat, walk, read, repeat. I, I threw a little bit of fishing in their pond into that. Some wood cutting and splitting. Um, hung out with my wife and kids a bit, um, God challenged me to read four books, um, the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, the book of Luke, and the book of Leviticus. No, 
not the book of Leviticus, the book of John. And over the course of those 30 days, I read those books, and a couple of them I, I read several times. I know that sounds very pastorly and, and spiritual and stuff, doesn't it? And I spent lots of time in prayer, and my prayer, it was pretty simple. God, I really do think that you have called me into this ministry, recovery ministry. I don't hear you telling me uh, to go anywhere else, so you got to help me figure this out. So I guess I would say that this, this message, and I, I think there's one theme, there might be more than one, one sermon, but that's okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to condense it for now, is a result of, I think, your investment in me in those 30 days. So, but I'm not going to promise that you'll like it, but that's all right. So as you know, my title is Recovery Pastor, so for 56 years of my life, I sat kind of where you are. Sunday to Sunday, and it's just been in the last four years that God called me into full-time ministry. You know, I've honestly gone looking for other recovery pastors, and they're really hard to find. There's lots, if you Google, there's lots of sites um, for ministries to help pastors who, who need recovery, but it's, it's hard to find recovery pastors. In fact, I went to a pastor's conference um, shortly after I started here on staff. I was a um, big conference, sitting around a table with a, a group of other pastors and lay leaders, and we were introducing ourselves, and I said, I'm Wayne, and I'm recovery pastor, and there was this collective, oh, we need one of those. It was cool. It, um, it really made me feel um, that I think it speaks loudly. Um, as to where this church and its willingness to recognize such a significant need. And so, yes, I do oversee recovery ministries and programs. I work a lot with people who are struggling in various areas of their life. Um, we've kind of fancied up our recovery ministry name. Uh, we're now calling it MTO Reach. But at the end of the day, we still have the same mission. It's to see people become devoted followers of Jesus. Same vision. We want to be a real and authentic church for all people. I am very blessed that recently we had Richard Evans and TJ McKenzie join us as counselors, and it's exciting to see literally every day, all day, people coming in and out of their office um, getting counseling. But you know, as I neared the end of, of my 30 days and, and over the next months, the months since then, I believe God has been making things a little bit more clear to me. And I'm going to share some of that you, with you this morning. And I don't know, you might be a little ticked. Because first of all, it's, it's really not new. In fact, it's, it's an over 2,000-year idea. And secondly, I think it needs to involve all of us. So we've been talking about um, praying for four, making it more, um, opening our doors. So the question is, so now what? I'm going to invite you to, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 4, or else you can just watch here up on the screen, and I'm going to read just a few verses from a few select passages throughout the book of Matthew. The first one is from Matthew 4, verse 18. It says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was also called Peter and Andrew. They were throwing their net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and followed him. Your version might say, I will show you how to, how to make fishers of men. But no, they left their nets at once and followed him. And then we're going to jump to Matthew 9 and verse 36. Read a, a little bit from there as well. 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray the Lord of the harvest. Um, ask him to send more workers into his fields. And then lastly, probably a familiar passage of scripture if you've been to church more than maybe six times. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you, even to the end of the age. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. Is this a missions conference, or what's he doing here? I guess my response would be kind of maybe, sort of, kind of. You see, I I grew up here in Three Hills. Um, Actually, we moved here when I was in grade seven. My dad was on staff at Prairie, Prairie Bible Institute, and I I had the privilege of sitting in the old Prairie tab, which, um, if you are not not familiar with that. It was this massive building, obviously, sitting on Prairie's campus. For many years, it was the largest, I I had heard, the largest worship center in Western Canada. I think it sat almost 4,000 people. So as I sat there through hundreds of messages and multiple missions conferences and heard from some of the greatest teachers, preachers, pastors, theologians, missionaries, certainly of that time, I don't know, maybe, maybe of all time, And right behind these great men and women of God, on the back wall, in massive letters, it said this. Is there a soul who died, who died because of me, forever shut away from heaven and from thee, because I tightly clutched my little earthly store, nor sent thy messenger unto some distant shore? Wow. No pressure, eh? And there I sat, this pudgy, I wrote zit-faced in here. I, I, I don't think Lydia really wanted me to say that. Introverted, solid, maybe C-minus student who was already experiencing feelings of anxiety, depression, dabbling in behaviors which I knew were not certainly prairie approved and that God wasn't likely very impressed with either kind of feeling this sense of shame, fear, um, incompetence, and a a sense of they can't surely mean me. Oh, and and don't get me wrong. I mean, I I did stuff for Jesus. I I even went to a couple of semesters of Bible college. Um, I met Lydia there. Um, I've been involved in church ministry my entire adult life. I've served. I've taught Sunday school. I've led worship in small groups. I even made it on the elders board of two different churches. I mean, I'm a pastor, for goodness sake. But you know, it kind of hit me during those 30 days away as I read through the Gospels that despite the fact that I, I've probably influenced hundreds of lives, and I think mostly in good ways, I, I really haven't made any disciples. I mean, not made disciples who make disciples, not, not with the intentionality that Jesus did. I don't know if if I really understood the authority that I have in Jesus through the power of his spirit. You know, growing up, I thought it was them go, not me go. 
Them baptize, not, not me baptize. Them teach, not me teach. I mean, that's a pastor's job, right? Then I became one of them. And I realized that there just aren't enough thems to go around. And we need to come up with, I think, another plan. A better plan. You know, I recalled hearing an interview with Billy Graham and Barbara Walters. I know, I'm old. Barbara was commend, commending Mr. Graham on the success of his ministry. You know, he pushed back and he said he had actually been a failure, which shocked her. And she questioned him because I think we all know, I mean, Billy Graham has impacted millions of lives. Millions have probably come to faith in Jesus because of him. And I don't remember the statistics. It was some percentages of, of where the world was at in relation to um, the gospel and, and hearing the gospel versus 50 years later um, during this interview. So she asked him, Billy, if you could go back and do it over again, what would you do differently? His response kind of shook me a little bit. And he said, I would disciple 12 men. So over the last few months, I've been kind of putting together my own personal definition of what a disciple of Jesus maybe should look like for me. And, and it probably won't be a, a huge surprise, but it, it, it looks something like this. A disciple is someone who is following, and I, I know that's a journey, I get that, who is being changed by Jesus and is committed to the mission of Jesus. And I think that mission piece kind of fits into the next part, which is, then what does a disciple maker look like? And I don't think they're separate. I think they're one and the same. As we are being discipled, we, we, we disciple others. But I, I kind of came up with this. Someone entering into relationship to help people trust and follow Jesus, right out of Matthew 28, which includes the whole process from conversion to maturing in their faith, to multiplication. I think I kind of called, and this isn't new, it's life on life, missional discipleship. So for me, I think this is the now what? So that's kind of part one of my 30 days. There's, there's a part two, and I want to share that with you. And um, You know, it started um, a few months ago, Dave Smithers dropped off a drawing to the church office a few months ago from, from what we could tell was the very first architectural drawing of, of this building that we're currently in, dating back to 1988. There's a little stamp there. It's not what we actually ended up with, but the vision was there, and it included this space, which we're currently in, as a multi-purpose space, but also included a sanctuary, starting kind of from those back doors, the foyer, and then into this part here, which I believe it said says 500-seat sanctuary. You know, we've had several congregational meetings and discussions about this over the years, and we've compiled a lot of great feedback from you. You know, you've suggested stuff like a youth center and gymnasium, I think skate park, that's a pretty cool one, walking paths, expanded kids' ministry, coffee shop. I mean, we haven't finalized any, any of that, but great ideas. And at the top of it, though, is, is a sanctuary a larger sanctuary, in fact, a much larger sanctuary, like an 800-person sanctuary that would accommodate potentially thousands of people in multiple services. But here we are. Over the last few months, we've had roughly 400 people showing up week to week. And um, if we're going to justify an expansion, 
where, where does that need to go? I, I know it's, it's not about numbers, but you know, let's, let's, let's pick one. I think it's good to have something to shoot for. It's, it's not, we know, a lack of people in our county, in our community. There's lots of people that need Jesus. In fact, I love what Elvin said, actually, from, from up here. This was a, a few months ago. He said, he said this. He said, we're actually a congregation of 5,000 people. It's just 4,500 don't know it yet. You know, when I was chatting with Elvin recently about the property that we'd purchased uh, and, um, and just saying, man, that's a lot. That's a lot of land. And he said, yeah, it is a lot of land. I, I sure hope it's enough. I love that, Right? But that 800, whoops, sorry, that 800-person gap, it's pretty huge. Now, now, one of our strategies, I guess, could be to empty the other churches. I think that would be pretty dumb, I'd, wouldn't you say? I, 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 love, I love when we have other people join us from other churches, but we want it to be because they want to get on board with the vision that God has given us. But I think we would also love to see unchurched people find Jesus and join his vision, our vision, to make disciples who make disciples. So here's a little concern, though, that I have. I, I know enough about those 800 people to know that it's probably going to be a little bit messy. You know, there's roughly 10,000 people in Nihil County, and, and I'll, I'm going to just fire a few statistics at you, and you can do the math. 20% are going to have a problematic relationship with alcohol. 25% will be suffering with depression, anxiety, PTSD. You know, we've talked with our, our local RCMP. Um, they said a, they've seen a significant increase in mental health-related calls. Um, impaired driving has, has increased. Um, their number one call continues to be, every year, domestic violence. Opioid um, overdoses account for more deaths in Alberta than automobile accidents. Each year, one in six Albertans will seriously think about suicide. You know, these statistics, they don't include sex, gaming, or technology addictions, eating disorders, gambling, people that just plain old need food, clothes, and a home to live in. Um, we also know, because the statistic is the same in the church as outside, that a third of them, um, uh, the marriages, their marriages are gonna be a mess. So as a pastor, and I guess maybe especially, I don't know if it matters whether you're a recovery pastor or not, you can understand maybe a little bit of our concern. So, now what? We read a book. I think I've got a copy of it here. Not My Church. I didn't like it very much. Um, and, and partly because of, of statements like this one. It said, every believer... It's every believer. Every believer, not just an elite few, has been set apart by God, a, po a positionally righteous, fully equipped, high-powered spiritual machine. That is who you are in Christ. You won't find a spiritual superstar online or at any church who has more spiritual potential than you at this very moment. You are one of the haves. Like, do I really believe that? Like, I think... I know it in my head because I memorized the verses when I was in Sunday school 50 years ago. Verses like Psalm 139. I'm a child of God by his choice. Hebrews 4. I have direct access to his throne through Jesus Christ. 
2 Corinthians 5, I'm a new creation in Christ. My past will not be held against me. How about Romans 8? I am free forever from all condemnation. Ephesians 1, I'm a saint. Wish my grade 5 teacher was here to hear that. I am a saint, holy and blameless in his sight. God, Acts 28, God called me as a servant and witness of what he has done in my life. Philippians 4, I can do what? all things through Christ who gives me strength. 2 Timothy 1, God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Here's another quote. There is no doubt about the Great Commission, and we read that earlier, right? The go, baptize, make disciples one. And since that first day, the Christian mission has never changed. I will wake up every day with the same end game in mind to turn lost people into Jesus' followers. And one more. Investing in people I love starts with both a conviction that people really need Jesus and a commitment to provide whatever I can to bring them to him. So, you know, I've been thinking in these last months, so what if I was willing to step into that calling personally? You know, I wonder, what if, what if, if I was willing to maybe challenge three other guys? It doesn't have to be three. But what if I was to challenge three other guys and say, you know what, would you begin this journey with me um, and teach, let's, let's work together, and let's try to figure out what are the things that God commanded us. Let's, let's begin to live those out day to day in our lives, and then, yeah, let's go do that with other people. You know, I, I, I wonder, I wonder what that, that could look like. I, you know, I got this picture in my mind that's kind of crazy, and oh yeah, it looks something like that. Um, I know, you know what, there are actually, I think it was Andrew that counted those, and there's almost 800. There's almost 800 people in there, and you know, what you're probably thinking is, awesome, you don't need us, right? You, you don't need us. But you know what, I, I think that would kind of take the fun out of it. And I think part of it is that our role as pastors is to equip you to be the church. So, what if... What if this was you? And what if you, I don't know, called one of your thems that you've been praying for? I don't know, maybe it's one, maybe it's two, maybe it's three. But then give us the opportunity, and it begins with hello, but let us journey with you all the way to that go and do likewise. And I don't know, I'm not sure if that's two years, three years, I don't know. But as you do that, we're gonna help you out with some, whoops, with disciple training. You know we're going to invite, we want your friends to come and come to church, come to Sunday morning for more teaching. Um, what about small groups? Um, another great way to help disciple. Um, rehab, you know, um, we, we've, we've got great resources um, that can come alongside you, but um, all through this, you're the consistent. We've got counseling. Um, we've got awesome support programs. We're starting Alpha this fall. We've got Freedom Session. Um, we've got The Journey. Um, we've got MAPS. All amazing programs. Um, mentorship. We want to come alongside you as you do this journey. Because you know, I, I was sharing this with a fella this last week who's probably been a Christian maybe longer than me. And I was talking to him about this. He said, Wayne, 
That scares the snot out of me. Yeah, you're right. It is, but, but what if we did this as a church, as a community? More training, ultimately moving people to that place where you've trained people to go and then do likewise. I know it's a big challenge this morning, and um, there's a lot of stuff that's packed in there, but I, I, I want to leave you um, this morning as I, I close with just one more thing. In Matthew 5 and verse 11, it says, One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up to the mountain side and, and he sat down and his disciples gathered around him and he began teaching. Then he launches into the, the greatest sermon ever, ever given, which we know as the Sermon on the Mount. It was two groups, right? It was the crowd and the disciples. And the crowd, were, they were impressed because you know what? He spoke as one who had authority. The whole crowd admired, but as he was teaching, something really special happened in the hearts of a few of them that went beyond admiration. For a few, as Jesus was talking, their hearts started pounding, their minds started racing. Something deep inside of them said, this, this is it. This is what I've been longing for my whole life, to be cleansed and forgiven of all my sin and mess, to know God as Father, to have courage, to have a life beyond constant fear and anxiety, to, to not be a slave anymore to sexual desires, money, approval of others or success, to be a part of God's work in my little sphere of influence in redeeming the world. And they said, I must have this. In fact, they said, I would rather have what this man has and give up everything else in the world than have everything else in the world and give up this man. Therefore, I will pay any price. I will do whatever he wants me to do. Go wherever he tells me to go. Be whatever he tells me to be. I will no longer be a part of the crowd from this day on. I will be a fully devoted follower of this man. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and they're going to close with a song that I think is very appropriate. It's called I Will Follow. Um, I just want to, let's close here in prayer as, as you do that. Father, I don't know, it's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. And um, Lord, I, we prayed that your spirit would um, work through it and, and pick out the pieces that you want us to hear, want me to hear. So Lord, as we, as we close here with this powerful song, um, would you um, help us to just think through and reflect and, and, and look to you for where, where do we fit in all of this? So Lord, thank you. Um, we praise you in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.